thank you, Wendy and team, for warming our hearts and preparing us to, to, uh, to just lean in together to hear from the Lord this morning. And uh, thank you, Vicki, for that wonderfully warm introduction. Um, I'm going to describe two different kinds of days, and I think we have all experienced both of these. The first kind of day, you wake up. Maybe it's a Saturday kind of day where you did not set the alarm. You feel rested. The sun is beaming in the window. There's not a cloud in the sky. You rise. You eat a nutritious breakfast. Maybe your husband even serves you breakfast in bed. It could be something nutritious or it could be a Pop-Tart, your choice. Um, you definitely have good coffee, a must, right? Looking great in your workout clothes, you hit only green lights on the way to the gym where you find the perfect parking place. You exercise with vigor, but you don't sweat. <laughs> and about noon, you look at your to-do list for the day and you cross off everything you had hoped to accomplish. In fact, you even write down a couple things you've already done just so you can cross them off. You ever do that? The kids behave, no one talks back. They love everything you cook. They can't believe how delicious it is. Their rooms are clean. Their schoolwork is all done. The mothering thing is going really well. Your husband notices how nice you look. In fact, trimmer than ever. How clean the house is and ask you if you'd like to go out to dinner somewhere really nice. Work's good, home's good, Life's good. Nice, huh? Anyone want to sign up? Let's talk about a second kind of day. You really didn't sleep well. In fact, you're not really sure you slept much at all. There was a burden sitting on your chest that felt like an elephant. Even your dreams were stressful. Have you ever had a dream where your teeth fall out? Your heart is heavy. There are hard things going on in your family that just seem too heavy to bear. Your relationships feel hard. Your strength feels small. Your prayer list is longer than your I got that done list. Even praying seems hard. You don't know what to pray or how to pray. Emotionally, you feel stressed. Sad, lonely, maybe defeated. Physically, you feel sick or tired or even weary. Spiritually, you feel depleted. You have more questions than answers. You see more needs without and within than you can even articulate. Life feels hard. Breathing feels hard. So you put one foot in front of the other and you do the next thing. Now, which kind of day do we prefer? The wind in my sails kind of day or the curl up in a fetal position kind of day? But let me ask you this question. Which kind of day offers a bigger picture of our reality? 
That's what we're going to consider today. The delusion of our human strength, the reality that our, of our, this deluded desire we have to feel strong and have everything together and under control. And then the healthy recognition of our neediness and the solid refuge of God's strength. Here's the truth. We would rather feel like a winning warrior than a crumbling child. We prefer winning to struggling. We like feeling strong and we hate feeling weak. Is that just me? <laughs> I don't think so. So here's the truth. We need God just as much on every kind of day. Every kind of day. In fact, the I can hardly breathe day paints a truer picture of the reality than the I've got this under control moments. <clears throat> now certainly life has times of celebration. There are moments of elation when wonder and worship flow out of abundance. But there are also seasons of struggle when worship slips from our weary, aching hearts in whispered prayers and anguished cries. And at every point, a healthy view of our frailty prepares us to seek God's strength. A healthy view of our frailty prepares us to seek God's strength. Let's talk a little reality, the rigors of life. You know, God never intended life in this fallen world to be everything we need. In fact, quite the opposite. <clears throat> this world is full of trouble. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you returned to the ground, since from it you have been taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Job 5.7 <laughs> Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Life in this world is hard. We struggle in so many different ways. Now, some of our challenges are common to all people because we live in a broken and fallen world. Relationships are hard because every relationship involves sinners, broken people. We enter and exit this world in pain. Labor rooms and deathbeds are both painful. Our emotions are floppy. Our bodies age not always gracefully. It takes blood, sweat, and tears to navigate life, earn a living, and raise a family. Even the really wonderful parts of life are really hard. Parenting is really wonderful and really hard. Marriage, really wonderful, really hard. Church life, really wonderful, really hard. We have problems and pandemics and politics which seem to outnumber the parties. And on top of that, as a Christian, as a believer, we face unique challenges just because of our commitment to Christ. There's this internal battle that we take on when we 
turn our lives over to Christ. We have a constant battle with that remnant of those sinful appetites that the Holy Spirit is working to extract from us and transform. We battle our own brokenness regularly as the Holy Spirit reproduces Christ's life and extracts that stuff that doesn't please God. We live in a world that mostly values and promotes the things Scripture tells us to hate. We live in constant tension in a world that just feels off because it's not our home. We long for more, we desire better. I was thinking about, um, I don't know, childhood songs have been on my mind all week, and I was thinking, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. We know God has something better in store for us. We were created for Eden and heaven, not this troubled world. We were not meant to die. Our hearts long for something better. And I think God, in the people he created in his image, he made us long for perfection this world cannot deliver so that we will look to him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we wait for what we want. We long for something better. Do you ever feel kind of trapped in a world that doesn't quite jive with who you are in Christ? The rigors of life regularly reveal realities that make us long for something better. The rigors of life regularly reveal realities that make us long for something better. Now let's talk about the fallacy of our perceived strength. If it's true, and it is, that life is hard more than it's easy, if there are a thousand ways life is an up hill climb while we long for and wait for something better. Then why do I try so hard to pretend I am strong and have it together? Now some of this is a little hard to admit, but let's go for it. Here's the deal. We like for other people to think we are strong. We like for other people to think we are strong. This world honors visible, measurable strength. The world system, human pride, and who knows what else teaches us to fill our chests with air and not let anyone see us sweat. Mr. Universe, Miss America, teaches us that strength, beauty, and external ma measures matter. <laughs> In fact, just having a face that's shaped a certain way that is deemed beautiful wins the world's applause. We love grades, good ones, athleticism, popularity, financial success, a healthy BMI. We admire Rhodes Scholars 
Fortune 500 companies, MVPs, and CEOs. And I could go on. And we try pretty hard not to expose our underbelly. We master the stiff upper lip and we cry in private. Invincibility seems more appealing than vulnerability. How do you feel when your sin or weakness is exposed? <laughs> Have you ever had your kid throw a tantrum in the foyer at church? Have you ever lost your temper and said the wrong thing and regretted it? Would you rather take a meal to a family in need or be the family in need? <laughs> we wear our best and act our best at church. We wear spanks, no guilt. And we only buy figure flattering apparel. <laughs> and we do that in so many ways. We like other people to think we are strong and we have it together. But there's more. And it's maybe even more painful. I prefer thinking I am strong. I prefer thinking I am strong, or at least pretending that's the case. Jan reminded me of a song. In 1971, Helen Reddy released a song called I Am Woman. Do you remember that? I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. And she goes on to sing, I am strong, strong. I am invincible, invincible. I am, say it with me, woman. Now, before that song gets too deeply in your brain and gets you all revved up, there's a question that I want you to ask about that song and every other song the world sings to you. It's a really important question. And that question is, is it true? Is it true? Am I invincible? I had the stomach flu this week. If I'm not invincible, why do I try so hard to feel strong? Why do I pretend? It's kind of crazy, given the realities I face every single day. I know the thoughts that swirl around in my head. I know what keeps me awake at night, the fears and the concerns. I know what sparks me to speak irritably most to the people I love the most. I know what it feels like to crumble. I know that underneath this makeup is a 10-year-old girl that misses her dad. And I know the truth that on many levels, I know it. But I sometimes fight to portray a different story even to myself. Why is it so hard to own our own weaknesses? Why do we think that pretending to be strong makes us strong? I am not invincible. Sorry, Helen. I just absolutely love Isaiah 2.22. It's a strange favorite verse. One of my, I love it. It says, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? You know, Anyone who's ever been born on this planet can only boast one thing, assuredly. One nose full of air. That's all you can boast. 
So everybody, just draw one in. That's all you got. That's all you got. We can't even control our next heartbeat. So why do we so long for a sense of control? Why do we feel right when things feel like they're going right? My pastor in Texas shared a very helpful principle. He called the principle of incontinence. Get ready. The principle of incontinence. We start life and end life unable to even control our own bladders. So why do we think we control anything in between? So the next time you're at Walmart or Sam's and you go into the aisle and you realize that the adult diapers and the baby diapers are in the same aisle, remember that. You know, we long for people to think we are strong, and actually we prefer to think we are strong. But one more thing. <laughs> we wrongly expect other people to be strong all the time, at least certain ones. Now, we have a wonderful pastor and elders who tirelessly serve the Lord and us, and we are grateful. But let me tell you something true about them. They are human. They are mortal men. They have bad days and families and bills to pay. They get hungry. I think they probably even sometimes get crabby. Yet God calls them to faithfulness and sobering responsibility, and they are leading us steadfastly Godward. However, remember they struggle too. Show them grace. Show them grace. So when you find yourself disappointed or disillusioned by someone else's weakness, and you will, remember who you are as well. Think about your own frailties. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are not as strong as we like to portray. Now, get, now strong is not wrong. <laughs> we just need to get a grip on who is strong. And ladies, it is not us. The rigors of life regularly reveal hard realities that make us long for something better. Life in this fallen world constantly exposes the fallacy of our human strength. But now let's talk about the benefit of embracing our neediness. You know, we can talk all day about situations that expose the frailness of our humanity and how we resist that, but we're here today to do a lot more than that. So what is to be gained by a realistic view of our own weakness, neediness, frailty? We like to think ourselves strong, but God often, often uses our weakness as a platform to teach us to depend on him. The weakness and frailty we must learn to embrace have a purposeful part of God's plan in his mighty hands. God intentionally orchestrates our lives to regularly expose our weakness. God intentionally orchestrates our lives to regularly expose our weakness. Have you ever noticed that just about anything and everything worthwhile comes with a struggle? At every turn, we face problems we didn't foresee. And I just think God loves us enough to take us regularly to places where our human defenses prove inadequate. 
God knows us so deeply, so intimately, that he knows exactly what it will take to break through our armor and expose our fainting hearts. I love to think that God speaks Debbie to Debbie. He knows when I need to be chinked down and bowed down and when I need to be encouraged. He knows me and he knows what I need and he knows you and he knows what you need. He knows where and how I want to feel strong but need to know I'm weak. He can be trusted to reveal the chinks in my armor in just the right way and at just the right time. You know, our weakness never shocks or surprises God. He knows exactly what I trust more than him and what I fear in spite of him. He knows that. When I come to him or you come to him with a hurting heart or brokenness or weakness, he will never say, never will he say, oh no, not you again. Does he sometimes, though, just look down and say, when will she give up her delusion of control and just come to me? Our limitations don't limit God. Our flaws cannot threaten his eternal purposes. He welcomes us when we limp or crawl into his presence. He sees us when we curl up in a ball and cry. And he just keeps saying, come, come, come to me, you weary thing, and I will give you rest. Here's the deal. God made you weak in all the right places. God made you weak in all the right places. You know, we love to take spiritual gifts tests. Think about how God has distributed spiritual gifts and talents and mental abilities and physical prowess and good looks and intelligence as he sees fit. He does it well and he does it wisely. All to be celebrated, right? But there's something else that's just as true. God has also custom-designed your weak spots. God has custom-designed your weak spots. He has strategically placed the cracks in your clay pot in just the right places so that his light will shine through your weaknesses as he sees fit. He knows what makes you cry, what makes you sweat, what leads you to hand-wringing, and what makes you mad, and why. He knows your vulnerabilities and your capabilities, and he wants to do his work through both. The rigors of life regularly reveal hard realities that make us long for something better. Life in this fallen world consistently exposes the fallacy of our human strength, but God uses our frailty to expose our weakness and lead us to his strength. You know, Paul's story in 2 Corinthians 12 offers such a powerful example of how God does this. Paul, the gospel ambassador with fortitude and resiliency we can scarcely describe, plucked by God for his purposes on a death mission while on the road to Damascus, 
He went from Christian slayer to Christ exalter. He traveled constantly, endured rejection, spoke boldly, and persevered courageously. But this Paul, who we would epitomize as a rock star evangelist, a gospel cannonball, he learned a very important lesson through a repeatedly reinforced struggle with a weakness. The traveling evangelist who shook off snakes and survived shipwrecks dealt with some kind of, we think, physical torment, a thorn in the flesh, that deepened his testimony of God's faithfulness. You know, a thorn is an irritant that pokes and hurts and festers and seems to hinder. So three times, Paul asked the Lord to take away his thorn, but God had something better for Paul than immediate relief. Paul learned through struggle to thank God for the thorn he saw fit not to remove. Paul had to learn to serve God with a throbbing thorn. <laughs> and here's what the Lord said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's weakness allowed him to experience God's relentless sufficiency, God's overcoming grace, and God's sanctifying power. Paul learned to trust God by what continued to hurt and didn't heal. And he said this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, say it with me, then I am strong. Now, Paul didn't mope and moan, at least not forever, <laughs> when he understood what God intended. He delighted in what God permitted. In fact, the list of things in which he delighted are not what would be on our list. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. Do you have any of those things in your life? Do you delight in them? What are you facing that is forcing you to admit what you would prefer to hide? In what area of your life is God gracing you with a hurt that won't heal? The hard moments and brutal battles add depth and dimension to what we know and experience about ourselves and about our God. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. But there's one more example that even surpasses that of Paul. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who came to earth to die for humanity's sin, he laid aside his glory to do it, Philippians 2 tells us. He lived a life not among the rich and famous, but a simple, unembellished life in an obscure village. He accomplished history's greatest, greatest achievement when he died a martyr's death. Our salvation was not won by a show of human strength. Jesus willingly became weak for our sakes, and in doing so, he crushed death and sin. Jesus made himself nothing so that we can experience 
everything he intends for us. You know, God does not do things the way we would. A shepherd boy slew a giant named Goliath without armor or manly weapons. God's people captured, conquered Jericho with a marching band, not a mighty army. God did not give Gideon a bigger army, but a smaller one. God gave a power-packed apostle, a thorn in the flesh, and Jesus conquered sin and death by dying to everything the world would esteem. Jesus left his heavenly work in the hands of seemingly ill-prepared, uneducated fishermen as he descended to heaven. God does not choose those things the world counts as strong. He calls up people who know they are weak, who will learn and experience that he is strong. Someone asked Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to China, why he had been so successful in his missionary work. And he replied, it seems that God searched the entire world looking for the weakest man, and when he found me, he said, you'll do. <laughs> so in our case... It's not a leap to conclude. Weakness is the path to strength. Weakness is the path to strength. The weakness that God has gently, lovingly, strategically exposed in all of us is purposeful. By nature, we are proud, and God knows we need to be humble and dependent. Our humility and dependence on God is more important than freedom from pain or an easy path. So I don't know what kind of day or month or year or life you are living, but there are a couple things I do know. I know that under your makeup, behind closed doors and beneath your pasted-on smile, there is some place or space where you are more needy than you care to admit, even to yourself. I also know that God has designed and delivered that situation to expose your need and to uncover your frailty in a way that he intends to use for your good and his glory. We need Jesus more than we think we do. And only when we realize we need God will we turn to him. God has made you weak in all the right places so that his glorious light will shine through you. Now we're going to talk some more about that. <laughs> but for now, I just want to pray. Lord, um, I can admit for myself and I think I can rightly speak for the women in this room that we proudly try to be what we aren't to impress ourselves and to impress the world and to fit a mold that we somehow have decided is right and let lord lord you love us too much to let us go on deluded thinking we're all that because we aren't you take us to places that strip us of answers and easy solutions where we get tired 
we get weary, we struggle, we have hard relationships, we have difficult situations, we have financial challenges, we have so many kinds of pain. And yet, Lord, you work in tailor-made ways to, at the right moment, at the right way, at the right time to strip away that delusion so that we can humble ourselves before you and know that we need you more than anything else. And so, Lord, give us grateful hearts. Help us to be quick to embrace our frailty so that we can quickly turn to you, the God of all strength. You are a great and mighty God for whom nothing is impossible. You created the world with the spoken word. You have orchestrated and planned our salvation before there's even a star in the sky. You know us. You made us strong in the right places and weak in the right places. And so, Lord, we just want to quiet our hearts. Do not let this truth just ping off of us us on a Saturday morning, but Lord, teach us, show us how to embrace the truth about ourselves so that we can simultaneously embrace what is true about you, the omnipotent God, the omnipresent God, the eternal God, the purposeful God, the benevolent God who has more for us than this world can offer. And so Lord, we thank you and we rest in you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.